You're listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Amen. Good morning. Morning. Welcome to Whitefields. We're so glad you're here with us this morning. Go ahead and take your seats. These guys did such a good job this morning. We're so thankful for them leading us in worship. Let's go ahead and begin our study this morning by reading our text, which comes from 1 John chapter 4. Our text comes from 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for this love of God shown towards us in this action of sending Jesus to be our Savior. And as we consider that this morning, as we consider who Jesus is and what Jesus did in history and, and what that means, the implications of that for our lives, Lord, would you give us a new vision of that? Would you help us to understand it? Some of us maybe for the first time, others of us maybe for the 500th time, but Lord, would you help us to see that? Because it is so important and it is the fuel for everything in the Christian life. So we ask this morning, give us a fresh vision of Jesus and the gospel. And Lord, we pray that your name would be lifted high as a result. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Last week, we began a new series here at Whitefields called Church Matters. So for the whole month of August, each Sunday, we are looking at one of the reasons why the church matters. We're also looking at these same things, what are, are things that matter to us as a church here at Whitefields. Last week, we talked about the topic of mission and the mission of God, God's mission in the world and how we get to be a part of it. This week, we're going to be talking about the gospel. The title of today's message is Good News of Great Joy. You know, there's something I've come to realize over the years uh, that I've been a Christian, and that is this. The gospel isn't just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A to Z of Christianity. In other words, the gospel isn't just the ABCs, you know, the kids stuff, the beginner information, the stuff you need to get started. Right? The gospel is the A to the Z. It's the beginning to the end. It's the whole package. It's the whole deal. And therefore, you never outgrow the gospel. You never get to the point where you move on to the deeper stuff. And I'll tell you why. Because there is no deeper stuff than this. See, the gospel is not just what you need in order to become a Christian. The gospel is also what you need in order to grow as a Christian. It's a deep well to which we continually return over and over and draw upon it. And it speaks to and it transforms every single area of our lives. And what that means is that the gospel is not just for people who aren't Christians yet. The gospel is what we need, even if we are already Christians. We need to hear it again and again. You never outgrow it. You never move past it. There's nothing deeper. This is the deepest stuff. It is the very heart of the Christian faith, and so we must return to it again and again. Here at Whitefields, we like to think of ourselves as a gospel-centered church. I'm going to be talking about what that means a little bit this morning. There are three questions we need to ask, though, on this topic of the gospel. First of all, when we talk about the gospel, we have to ask the obvious question, what is the gospel? Let's make sure we understand that before we move on. Secondly, what does the gospel do? And thirdly, what are we to do with the gospel once we've gotten it, once we've heard it, once we've received it? So what is the gospel? What does the gospel do? And what are we to do with the gospel? Each of these three questions is actually answered by the three verses that we read this morning. So I'm going to walk you through that and show you how. So let's begin by looking at this. What is the gospel? Here's what the gospel is. The gospel is good news, not good advice. I'll say that again. The gospel is good news, not good advice. 
I'll tell you the difference in a second. You know, I remember the day very clearly. It was a Tuesday, and I worked at a snowboard shop at the time, and the snowboard shop was in Golden. Uh, We had been given the day off of work. It was in September, and so uh, we were supposed to go to a training seminar that day in downtown Denver, and I had arranged with one of my coworkers that we were going to meet somewhere, and we were going to carpool downtown together, and so I got to where we were supposed to meet at the time we were supposed to meet there, but the other guy didn't show up. And at this time, we didn't have cell phones. We just had, you just had to wait and find out if people showed up. That was all you could do. And uh, so I didn't know what was going on. So I waited and waited by my car. And uh, finally, this guy did show up a little while later. And he told me the news. He told me what had happened that day. Something had happened that would change everything. Now that day was September 11th, 2001. And what had happened is the terrorists had flown passenger airplanes into the Twin Towers in New York City, and they'd flown another one into the Pentagon. That event changed the world. And it's one of those events where everybody remembers where they were at that moment when they heard that news. Everybody remembers what they were doing, those who were old enough. They remember exactly where they were and what they were doing and what was going on around them at the moment when they heard that news, because that news changed everything. Something happened, and as a result, nothing would ever be the same. For prior generations, there was always something like this, right? Every generation has had this moment where they received this big news that changed the world, that changed everything. For older generations, it was that Pearl Harbor had been attacked. For another generation, it was that, or maybe just later on for that same generation, it was that the Allies had won World War II. There was the news that the president had been shot, that John Lennon had died. I mean, there are these big world events, and you remember where you were when somebody told you about them. Everybody remembers, you know, where they were, what they were doing when they got that news that changed everything. But it's not only bad news that works this way, it's a lot of news. Maybe some of you can remember where you were when you got the news that you were accepted into that program you had applied to. Maybe some of you remember exactly the circumstances where you were, how it happened when you found out that you were going to be a parent or a grandparent or, or even a sister or a brother. You remember the good news. Or maybe you've gotten to be the one who, was, who got the, the privilege of breaking the good news to somebody, something like that. That's so much fun. That kind of proclamation, an event that changes everything, an event that's so significant that it, that it changes the world. The Greeks, the ancient Greeks actually had a, a word for that. They called it evangelion. Evangelion. It's a proclamation of great significance. It's news that changes everything. And that word, Evangelion, it was reserved for only the most significant events. For example, if an army won a battle or won a war, they would send a messenger back returning with the news, the Evangelion, the proclamation of the victory, of the military victory. If there was a new king or or royalty was born, there would be a proclamation that went out, something that changed everything. It would go throughout the land and that report was called the Evangelion, the good news, the joyful report. And that's why it's so significant that when Jesus was born, we're told that this is the kind of report that went out. This is the very word that is used, evangelion, this news that changes everything. It's so big, it's so huge, it's so significant. The Bible tells us that on the night Jesus was born, there were shepherds in fields nearby watching their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and he said to them, behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And guess what that phrase, I bring you good news of great joy. In the original Greek, it's the word evangelion. In fact, what's interesting is that it's not only the word once, it's actually the word evangelion is used twice in that sentence. 
two times. In other words, this word which is reserved for only the greatest of announcements and proclamation, life-changing, world-shaking events, the kind of good news that changes everything is reserved and it's used for the coming of Jesus into the world. In fact, as I said, it's used in that phrase twice. And it's almost as if he's saying, I joyfully proclaim to you this joyous news. And here's the good news. He says, unto you this day is born in Bethlehem, the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Something has happened that is going to change all of history. The Savior has been born. This Greek word used to describe this greatest, most profound, life-changing event, Evangelium, it's used of Jesus. And this word, when it's translated in our Bibles in English, is the word gospel. It's the word gospel. And so it's really important to understand this. What is the gospel? Well, by definition, the gospel is good news. It's a proclamation of something that has happened. It's not good advice. The gospel is the report, the news of a life-altering event that has taken place. And as a result, nothing will ever be the same. In other words, the gospel isn't something that you have to do. The gospel is something that has been done. It's the report of something that has been done. The gospel isn't a set of rules that you have to follow. The gospel is the good news about the events which have taken place in history, which change everything because they have implications for every aspect of life. The gospel is not primarily advice about how you should live your life. The gospel rather is the news of who Jesus is and what he has done, how he lived, what he did and what it means for you. You see, if I come to you with advice, basically advice is me telling you what I think you should do. But if I come to you with news that I'm telling you about something that has happened, it's done. It's a done deal. And this is what makes Christianity utterly different, utterly unique from every religion and, and philosophy in the world. Every other religion, every other philosophy is good advice. They say, if you follow these teachings, if you follow these rules, if you follow these principles and precepts, then you will be right with God and then you will be saved. But Christianity is different. Because in Christianity, you're actually not saved by following the teachings of Jesus. You know that, right? In Christianity, you're not saved by following the teachings of Jesus. In Christianity, you're saved by what Jesus did in history for you. Islam, for example, Islam doesn't teach that you are saved by anything that Muhammad or anybody else did for you. Islam says in order to be saved, here's what you need to do. There are five pillars that you need to follow. And if you do a good job at it, if you do it well enough, in the end, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, then you will maybe be saved. In other words, it's completely dependent on you and your performance. They're basically saying, here's some good advice. All of your eternal destiny depends on it. Now get out there and do it. Good luck. That's what they're saying, right? So, but Christianity is different. Christianity says this, you cannot save yourself. Even if you tried, even if you tried your hardest, even if you're a great person, the best person in the world, you cannot save yourself but God because he loves you. He came to you. He did what needed to be done. He did that which you could not do so that you could be made right with him and so that you could be saved. Do you see the difference? The difference is so important. The gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news of what has been done. Take Buddhism, for example. Do you know what the last words were, the last teaching of Buddha to his disciples? Do you know what it was? Here's what he said to his disciples uh, at, at the end of his life. He told them, strive without ceasing, work hard to gain your salvation. Strive without ceasing and work hard to gain your salvation. Now compare that with Jesus' last words. As Jesus hung on the cross, surrounded by his mother and a few of his closest disciples, Jesus said, It is finished. 
It is accomplished. What I came here to do, it's done. There's nothing that needs to be added to it. There's nothing that can be added to it. I did it all. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus Christ has done for you because you could not do it on your own. Rather than leaving you with just some good advice and saying, good luck, go for it. God loves you so much that he came and he did it in your place on your behalf. That's why we say that we are saved by grace. What that means is that it's what someone else did for us. That's the good news of the gospel. And yet in spite of that, there are those who treat Christianity as if it is in essence uh, good advice rather than good news. And that's a shame. They act as if their salvation and their right standing with God is completely contingent on your performance and your ability rather than on what God did for you in Jesus. That's why it's so important to get this point straight before we move on to any others. The gospel is good news, not good advice. It is the report of what Jesus did and what that means for me and you. That's why John says here in the text that we read in in chapter 4, verse 9 of of 1 John, he says this, In this is love. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his Son into the world so that we might live through him. Do you understand? He's talking about a historical event that took place in real time, in real history. When Paul the Apostle writes to the Corinthians and he reminds them, he says, let me remind you, this is the gospel. Here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, let me remind you of the gospel. Here's what it is. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried On the third day, he rose from the dead, and all of this happened in accordance with the scriptures. See, the thing about Christianity is that our faith is inextricably linked to historical events. Our faith is based on historical events, which either happened or they didn't. And and there was a real person named Jesus. This is what our faith is, that there was a real person named Jesus of Nazareth. And on a particular place, on a particular day, he was crucified on a Roman cross just outside the city of Jerusalem. He was buried in a tomb. Three days later, much to everyone's astonishment, he rose from the dead. Either those things happened or they didn't. To disprove Christianity, all one would have to do is to prove that those things didn't actually happen because Christianity teaches that we are saved by what he did, real historical events that took place in time and history. And all of the evidence, by the way, historically and anecdotally, it points to the fact that those things really did happen. The gospel is the news. It is the proclamation. It's the report of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and what that means for me and you. It happened in history. It changed the world forever and it will change your life now if you embrace it. See, the message of the gospel is that Jesus Christ lived the life that you should have lived and he died the death that you should have died in your place so that in him God can remove all of your sins, and in him God can receive you, not because of your record, not because of anything that you have done, but because of what Jesus has done, because of his record and what he's done on your behalf. That's the good news of the gospel. It's good news, not good advice. Secondly, what does the gospel do? Here's what the gospel does. It gives you a new status, a new status. The second verse in this section we read says this, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us, and he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, it's not what we do for God, it's what God has done for us. And here's what God has done for you. He loved you. He loved you so much that he sent his son to be the propitiation for your sins. Now what does that word even mean, propitiation? 
It means to pay a debt. It means to make right something that has been wrong. And here's why that matters, because the Bible tells us that God is both just and merciful. The fact that God is just, it means that as a good judge, there are boundaries, and if you cross the boundaries, there are consequences, and those consequences are the same for everybody, regardless of who you are. To be fair and just means that everybody gets exactly what they deserve. No more, no less. That's justice. But mercy, on the other hand, is something different. Mercy means that you don't give someone what they deserve. Rather, you have mercy on them. You cut them some slack, in other words. And so the question becomes, well, then how is that possible that God is just and merciful at the same time? Because those two things kind of cancel each other out by nature. If you are being just, then you're not being merciful. And if you're being merciful, well, then that's not justice. So how is it possible that God is both just and merciful? And the answer is found here in this verse. He says that God made Jesus to be the propitiation for your sins. In other words, all of your sins, everything you've ever done wrong, God didn't just ignore it. He didn't just forget it. He didn't sweep it under the rug. He dealt with it justly. He took all of the sin, all of the wrongdoing. He put it all upon Jesus on the cross. He paid the price for your sins in him so that he could show you mercy. The Bible puts it this way in Romans chapter 3. He says that by doing this, God can now be both just and the justifier of those who have their faith in Christ. Let me explain to you what this means in a story Jesus told. In the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, Jesus told a story about two men. One of them was a good man. The other was a bad man, you could say. The one was a moral person, even a religious person. The other one was a non-religious person and an immoral person. And Jesus tells this story about these two men and the ways that they prayed. And the ways that they prayed reveal a lot about them. They reveal a lot about the ways that these people approach God. Here's the story that Jesus told. It says this, Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, religious, upright, moral person. The other a tax collector, a non-religious sinner, sinful person. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus to God out loud. He said, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. You can imagine him pointing at the guy. He says, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I get. But the tax collector, standing afar off, he would not even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, when Jesus started telling this parable, the people listening would have assumed, okay, he's telling a story about a good person and a bad person. And the moral of the story is going to be that the good person, the religious person is, is close to God And the bad person, the immoral person, is far away from God. But by the end of the story, you find out just the opposite is true. The bad guy in the story is actually closer to God than the so-called good guy. Why? Because the good guy, the moral person, was self-righteous. And he came to God on his own merits. But the bad guy, he humbles himself. He says, God, I am bankrupt before you. And he says that as a result of that, this man was justified by the grace of God. The first man, he approached God on the basis of his own righteousness. 
See, what Jesus is trying to explain here, he's trying to challenge the way that people commonly think about approaching God. The big difference between these guys, you would have thought at the beginning of the story, was that one was good, one was bad. One was moral, one was immoral. Jesus says, no, the big difference between these two guys is how they relate to God and how they think about themselves. The first person approaches God on his own merits, based on his own performance. The other person approaches God with nothing to offer, just says, God, please have mercy on me. The first guy pulls out his moral resume, his checklist. He says, check me out. I've got my perfect attendance record. Here are all the things that I've done. Here are the list of things I've done right. Here are all the list of bad things that I don't do. The second man, he approaches God and says, God, I have nothing. I have nothing to offer you. I have nothing to present to you. I have no merits whatsoever. All I'm asking is that you would please have mercy on me and show me grace. And it says that God loved that heart of that man and God looked at that man and he was justified. To be justified means that God makes you righteous. And here's what righteousness is. Righteousness is a validating performance record that opens doors. In other words, it's kind of like a resume. A resume is kind of your performance report for your life. When you apply for a job, you show them your resume and it says, look at this. Here's what I've done. These are my accomplishments. These are my achievements. These are the reasons why you should accept me and have me in this position. And the way that every religion and every culture works is that it assumes that this is the same way that you approach God. That if you want to connect with God, you get out your resume, your moral performance record, and you present it to God and you say, God, look at what I've done. See, God, you owe me. I've done a good job. That's what the first guy in the story did. But what Jesus is saying, what the Bible teaches throughout is that that's not how it works. None of us None of us are owed anything by God. None of us could ever be good enough to earn God's favor or his love or his acceptance. But here's the good news. Because God loves you, he offers you righteousness that you need so that you can be accepted by him as a gift. In order to receive it though, you have to stop trying to push your resume across the table as the means by which God should, should accept you and love you and bless you. And you gotta be like the second man in the story and beat your breast and say, Have mercy on me, Lord, a sinner. If you do that, you know what happens? He opens the floodgates of heaven and rains down mercy and grace on you. But here's the deal. If you pridefully stand like the other man saying, God, but look at my list. Look at my resume. Look at my report. You should be super glad that you have me here. You owe me big time. God would say, hey, I don't want anything to do with that. Uh, I resist that. This is the one thing that sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world is this message of grace. It's the message that God came to us in Christ. He dwelt among us. He lived a perfect life. He he came and he created that truly perfect performance record. And in his sacrificial death, he did that so that he could basically trade resumes with you. See, here's what happens when you put your trust and your faith in Jesus. He takes your resume and he takes his resume and he scratches out the names at the top of them. And on your resume, he writes his name. And on your resume and in his resume, he writes your name. I almost got lost there. But you get the point. He switches the names on the resume and hands them back to you and says, look, that's what it is. He gives you his record and he takes your record upon himself. That's what it means to be justified. It means that the gospel gives you a new status. John talks about this here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, See what great love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called 
children of God. And that is what we are. This is the status that you get when you place your faith in Jesus and what he's done for you. You get this new title, this new status. Uh, Instead of being cursed, instead of being alienated, instead of being lost, you become found and redeemed and you become a child of God. It's a new status. In other words, the gospel doesn't just give you forgiveness of your sins. It gives you a whole new status before God, which has implications for this life and for eternity. Another thing that the gospel does is that it changes your heart and it transforms your values. Look at what John says in that third verse there, verse 11. Beloved, if God has so loved us, we also ought to love one another. The implication here is that when you really understand the gospel, it changes your values. He says this, if you really understand the gospel that God loved you and gave himself for you in Christ, even when you didn't love him, that he treasured you and valued you more than his own comfort and security, that Jesus served you by sacrificing himself for your good. He put your good above his own. You see, when the gospel really sinks down deep into your heart, when you really get it, it changes your heart and it transforms your values. One of the things that happens is that you cease from looking, you stop looking at God as being primarily useful to you and you begin to see him as beautiful to you. So many people, they primarily look at God as useful, but when you understand the gospel, you begin to see him as beautiful. The gospel transforms the way that you think about other people. If you're always trying to justify yourself, you know what happens? You will be looking for reasons why you are better than other people. That's what the first guy in this story did. Thank you, Lord, that I'm better than other people. That's what he was saying. Thank you, God, that I'm, I'm better than this person next to me. I'm much better than he is. You see, this is the kind of attitude that leads to things like racism. I mean, we had this big problem yesterday in Charlottesville, Virginia with racism. Where does that come from? Here's what it comes from. It comes from people wanting to feel that they have worth and value, that they, they have a reason to be better, that they have a reason to be accepted. And, and they say, well, here's how I'm going to find my value. I'm going to find other people who I think I'm better than. And I'm going to look down on them because it makes me feel better. It leads to prejudice. It leads to condescending attitudes. Everyone's looking for an edge up on others so they can feel better about themselves. They're looking for value and worth because it makes them feel good to look at other people and say, I'm better than them, like the guy in our story did. But when you understand the gospel, you no longer have to prove yourself. You understand, you know, you have all the value and the worth that you're looking for, all of the acceptance, because here's the gospel that God loved you. He loves you and he loved you with a greater love than you can ever imagine. Not because you earned it or deserved it, because of who he is and because he loves you. And he acted on your behalf to make you his own and transform you into his child to accept you. When you really understand the gospel, on the one hand, it makes you incredibly humble because you realize that you have no right to think of yourself as any better than anybody else. But on the other hand, On the one hand, it makes you humble, but on the other hand, it makes you incredibly confident because you understand the God of the universe, the one person whose approval actually matters, loves you and approves of you. He says, you are my child in whom I'm well pleased and therefore you can be incredibly confident in your life without the least bit of condescension towards other people. The gospel is the good news of who Jesus is and what he did for you. And what the gospel does, it gives you a new status before God and it changes your heart and transforms your values. And finally, let's talk about this last point. Once we know what the gospel is, once we know what the gospel does, the question is, what do we do with the gospel? What do we do with it? First of all, you need to embrace it. 
To embrace the gospel means that not only do you consider it interesting, not only does it make sense to you, but you say, this is true. And not only is it true, it's true, not just in general, it's true for me personally. That what Jesus did, he did for me. That because of what he did, I can be saved. That because of what he did, I can receive this new status before God. I can be transformed from the inside out. To believe in Jesus means to trust in and rely on and cling to him and what he did for you. Maybe there's some of you here today who have never done that before in your life. You've never taken that final step and put down your yes and said, yes, I embrace the gospel, that it is true, not just in general, but true for me. I want to encourage you not to leave here today without doing that. Here's the second thing we must do with it. Along with embracing it, we must continually return to it. See, part of who we are here at Whitefields, we, we call ourselves a gospel-centered church. And what that means for us is this, that our message that we preach here at Whitefields it isn't self-help tips. It's not strategies for do-it-yourself self-help tips and, and self-improvement. No, our message week in and week out is Jesus Christ and Him crucified, His life, His death, His resurrection, and what that means for every area of your life. You see, the entire Bible from beginning to end is focused on telling this one story, this one big story of God's saving work of redeeming the world through Jesus Christ. And so as we study the Bible here at Whitefields, whatever section we're in on any given week, we're going to be looking at and focusing on what it teaches us practically, but also how it points us to Jesus and what he did for us. See, we believe the gospel is something we must continually return to. Believing the gospel is not just how you become a Christian. It's also how you grow as a Christian. It's as you apply the gospel to every area of your life. In the New Testament letters, this is exactly how Paul the Apostle structures all of these letters. As he writes to early Christians, he says, okay, let me remind you of the gospel. Here are, here's who Jesus is. Here's what Jesus did. And now... What does that mean for your marriage? What does that mean for Monday morning at work? What does that mean for how you treat your employees, how you love your wife, how you raise your kids, how you act towards your boss, how you think about your money, how you treat people of other races, how you think about entertainment or people you have disagreements with. The way that you grow as a Christian in every area of your life is by coming back to the gospel, by coming back to Jesus and letting the implications of who he is and what he's done reshape your life, and reorganize your values and your priorities. And finally, the third thing, what do we do with the gospel? We have to share it with others. You see, that's the nature of it being news, is that it has to be shared, it has to be proclaimed. Paul the Apostle said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, it's the power of God for salvation to all who believe. As a church, we're committed to doing that in a number of ways. That's why we're on the radio. It's why we spread the message online by creating content for people to read and share and, and watch and listen to. We want to develop that. We want to do that more and more in the future. It's why we have a commitment to outreach and to missions even beyond our local community. But aside from these activities, we also want to encourage you to be doing those same things yourselves. You see, if the gospel is good news that changes everything, that means that it's news that needs to be shared and proclaimed in your friendships, in your relationships. Understand this, everyone you know has hopes and fears. And the gospel alone speaks to and gives the answer to those things that are at the root of their hopes and fears. And so one of the ways that you can share the good 
good news of the gospel in your relationships is by showing people how Jesus is the answer to their hopes and their fears and the only true solution. Whether that's the fear of death, whether it's the fear of loneliness, the fear of loss, the fear of insecurity, the, the hope of joy, the hope of peace and stability, all of the answers to our deepest hopes and fears are found in the gospel. Who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what that means for us. So the point is this. What are we to do with the gospel? We are to embrace it. We are to continually return to it. And we're to share it with others. I want to encourage you to do that today. I encourage you to look fresh upon Jesus and to see in him God's love for you and live in light of what God has done for you in Christ in every area of your life. Would you please stand with me and let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this glorious gospel. We thank you for this good news of what you have done. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, that we would be those who embrace this truth. Not only is it true, but it's true for each of us individually. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who hasn't yet taken that step of saying, yes, Lord, I embrace the gospel. I embrace what you did, not just in general, but what you did for me. Lord, I pray that you would help us to apply the gospel to every area of our lives and be transformed as a result. And Lord, would you help us to be those who share this good news with others? Lord, thank you for what you've done for us. May we live in light of it in every area of our lives today and and from here on out. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Northern Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com.